This is the Gartner Podcast for Supply Chain Leaders. Hi, I'm Caroline Chumakov, and welcome to another episode of the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast. Every month, we sit down with some of supply chain's best thinkers, innovators, and leaders to share with you timely strategic insights and tactical tips you need to drive supply chain success. And for today's episode, we're joined by a special guest from Gartner's HR practice, Senior Director of Research, Emily Rose McRae. We're here to discuss the future of frontline work, particularly at the intersection of humans and machines for the work that must be completed on site. Emily Rose, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Caroline. I'm really excited to be joining you today. It's so great to have you, Emily Rose. So the future of work is a very hot topic today, especially for CSCOs experiencing attrition and retention challenges across their supply chain organizations. But why are we placing emphasis on the front line now? Where exactly do we find ourselves today when it comes to the frontline workforce? So I think we're all aware of one of the big challenges with the frontline workforce, which is, of course, that we don't have enough workers. We have a massive talent shortage and we have high levels of attrition in many of our frontline worker segments. And so it's incredibly hard to have the talent you need right now. The other thing we're seeing is that people are more stressed than ever. It's incredibly difficult to go throughout your day. There's some data that came out from Gallup a little while ago that showed that in 2022, workers were actually more stressed than they were in 2020. In fact, 60% of workers said that they were stressed at work every single day that they were at work in the last year, which is just a phenomenal number. So we have a lot of issues we need to address. That's great, Emily Rose. And I couldn't agree more that CSCOs seem to be stuck between a few different hard spots, both attempting to attend to their employees that are burnt out and challenged in many different ways, Uh, while also still delivering on operational targets and attempting to keep an eye on the future on how work should evolve. So how exactly can CSCOs juggle all of these expectations and challenges, and how should they approach the redesign of frontline work in a more thoughtful way? Well, I think the first thing that folks should know is that they've already started shaping the future of frontline work looks like at their organization. Because the reality is, whether we intend for them to or not, the actions we take today are shaping what the future frontline work looks like at our organizations. Especially if we always find ourselves reacting and responding, we may not be thinking through, well, what are the long-term implications of what I'm doing now? In fact, we might even think about them and say, you know what, we're just going to get through this moment and then we'll come up with something strategic. But there's always another stressor. So what we actually end up doing is unintentionally putting ourselves on a path that is sometimes quite hard to adjust from. And let me tell you a little bit more about what I mean by that. A really common decision that organizations are making today is, all right, employees' expectations have shifted, particularly during the isolations and shutdowns during the pandemic. But just in general, employees want different things than they did previously, or the things that they want matter more to them than they did previously. And that's part of why we're having trouble keeping talent. So what should we do? Well, some organizations are going to say, well, we need our workforce, but they're a tool that we use. They're not exactly our competitive advantage. Whereas other people will look at this and say, our workforce is our competitive advantage. Our workforce is a cornerstone of what we do. And so we have to find a way to meet their needs. 
if you think of your workforce as a tool, probably your operations are more of a competitive advantage. And in that situation, you may not be as concerned about if there's going to be turnover. You may build your plan around that. The other big challenge and decision that I hear from folks right now is, oh my goodness, we have to do so much more with so much less. Demand has skyrocketed, but we have our supply chain shortages. We have inflation. And then when you bring in the talent shortage, we're often needing our employees to do so much more with less. And we actually have incredibly high demand from all corners, making it just a very high pressure situation. And in response to this, most organizations are going to turn to technology opportunities, but they tend to turn to them in one of two ways. Either incremental changes, where you don't really change your process that much, but you might automate different steps of the process, or full-on transformational changes. You might change your process, you might change your entire business or operating model if it will allow you to be more efficient and effective. And so those are the two big decisions that folks are taking right now that are shaping what the future of frontline work looks like. That's perfect, Emily Rose. So what I understand is these are the two decisions that we're having to make, how we view our workforce, whether as a tool or a competitive advantage or cornerstone, and this element of appetite for change. So if these two ideas are a cross-section, then what we have is four potential futures that we could pursue for our frontline workforce. Exactly. So what kind of future might we be pursuing if we happen to view our workforce as a tool, so we might value our operations to a greater degree, and we happen to be more geared toward incremental changes, which tends to be more of a common approach in supply chain. So it's not just a common approach in supply chain. I'll be honest, it's a common approach in a lot of different segments and sectors. But here's what we see. If you have your workforce as a tool, meaning your operations are more of a competitive advantage for you, and you're more inclined towards incremental change, you are headed towards what we call comprehensive process automation. In this future, you're going to be attempting to increase the speed and the scale of your operations, but you don't want to change the core processes or your business model. One of the things that will happen is that you'll increasingly break your roles into tasks which will give you more budget flexibility because you can leverage gig and contract workers. The reason you're doing it in most cases is actually to make it easier to implement technology to replace some of your staffing needs. Ironically, even though it's not the goal, there are ways that a future comprehensive process automation could potentially help with engagement in the short run. When supply chain leaders decide to leverage technology to reduce their reliance on humans for frontline operations, the shift to, from human to machine labor might not actually reduce the number of employees needed, but it does shift what tasks they're doing. And the tasks that are left for humans to do tend to be those that are then going to be easier to give them flexibility for. So even though it's not the goal, there is the potential for in the short run there to be more flexibility. In the long run, it's a little more complicated because you're essentially trying to automate out roles. Now, I can share some examples if you'd like to hear them. I would love to. So one example we have comes from Schneider Electric. So they have decided to take all of their systems with data from their internal systems and their suppliers, as well as external risk data, and use that to automatically adjust their supply chain. So if a supplier is going to delay when the material is available, all of the decisions regarding how it's going to be rerouted and how that execution of the rerouting will happen 
automatically done, which saves them a lot of time and effort and usually hopefully saves them money. Another example is from Nestle. So Nestle has its order to cash process that it's been working on for five years to make more automated and intelligent. And the goal is over the course of the full five years, they're going to go from more data informed to completely automated with real-time decision execution, which is really exciting for them. And then another example I'd like to share, because it particularly is involving physical goods, is one of our clients who looks at freight forwarding and warehousing completely automated their freight forwarding process. So a robot receives and confirms that there's been a booking for the freight forwarding. It then receives the cargo and updates the booking and confirms that it's as expected, and then plans out the shipment per whatever the carrier schedules will be, and dispatches the cargo, plus provides updates to those who are waiting for the forwarding. And one of the cool things about this is it has massively reduced the amount of time they have to spend handling process, the process for freight forwarding. So they've reduced their handling time from over eight hours every day to 48 minutes, which is a massive 87% reduction. That's incredible, Emily Rose. So what I hear is if we view our workforce as a tool, or maybe a segment of our workforce as a tool, and we are maybe more geared towards incremental change, then we're exploring these different levels of automation, as, as you've just explained in these wonderful examples. Now, in the same vein of being geared toward incremental change, what future are we building if we view our workforce as a cornerstone or, or a competitive advantage? Sure. So if you are still geared towards incremental change, but you also see your workforce as a competitive advantage, we're looking at our future of collaborative human machine teams. So collaborative human machine teams are situations where organizations are trying to maximize the impact of their employees. So focusing on taking any tasks that are rote and repetitive and moving them to machines and technologies, but also really getting the most impact they can out of their employees without changing what they do. This could look like robots supporting humans with tasks, um, or robots and humans working together on customer experience. So it has some interesting opportunities there. It is really different from comprehensive process automation, though, and that the future is continuing to employ these employees at a high level and wanting to maintain the value and impact that employees can have and even increase it. Whereas with comprehensive process automation, your goal is to reduce your dependent on human labor. And in that world, Obviously, as you might imagine, longer time horizon, you're looking at some engagement and retention issues. That's great, Emily Rose. Are there maybe some examples that you could share on how others are approaching this collaborative human-machine team's future? Sure. Um, actually, one of my favorite examples comes more from uh, waste management, actually, than supply chain, but it's one that's very replicable across the board. So the president of RDS, which is a recycling and disposal solutions company, was really finding it difficult to get enough staff who could sort recyclable materials from waste. And of course, that got worse once the pandemic hit between the new protocols for personal safety and also more risky materials being disposed. And so he came across some robots that could help with quality control. And he purchased four of them, but kept all of the full-time employees he had. And what the robots did was actually help reduce the amount of time that managers were spending doing recruiting and onboarding by 20 hours a month. And each one of the employees who is literally working side by side with a robot is able to have something that checks their work 
And basically what the humans have said about it is the human employees that robots working side by side with humans, it's actually a lot better. They may not catch everything, but we can't either. And so we need each other. And it led to them actually ending up hiring some very high skilled workers in addition to the staff that they were usually hiring to sort the recyclable materials. And these high skilled workers were intended to manage the robots themselves. Another example comes from Unilever. So Unilever was collecting a lot of voice of customer data, and then it would get filtered through a lot of executives before it would make it to the operational staff, who would then be told, here's what we think you should do based on voice of customer feedback. And Unilever wanted to do one of our standard best practices of getting the information to the people who are executing in that moment. And they also didn't want to completely overwhelm their staff with just tons of data and information. So they used technology to direct their unfiltered voice of customer data directly to the parts of the organization that needed it, but with an overlay of some data science techniques and machine learning and natural language processing to structure the data into some consumable insights. And then the data was sent by factory relevant topics to the different pieces of the staff so that they can consume it in an easy to read, easy to interpret way. But what made a really big difference is dictation of this is what you should do or prescription of this is what you should do to descriptive insights where that let the operational staff actually adapt and create new and innovative solutions. So you might decide you need to redesign product packaging in one case or respond to emerging COVID concerns in another. And so that then increased the opportunities for even more innovation, which is actually really exciting. That's very exciting. Um, and what I hear, Emily Rose, is that in this collaborative human machine teams approach, we are really thinking about the role of human beings in our workforce and how we maintain them in our workforce while still augmenting their capabilities. Now, I do want to spend a moment on the opposite side of the change appetite spectrum. So I'm thinking about those organizations that do have an appetite for full-scale transformation and that might also be viewing their workforce as a cornerstone and a competitive advantage. What future might we be envisioning for them? Sure. So in this kind of organization, the transformational changes mean we're going from piloting to implementation at a really rapid pace. And that rapid transformation is constantly trying to get more out of your existing workforce. So this could include things like AI being used to check on employees' health and work and provide support if required. And on a net level, we'd say that jobs are really not at danger in this kind of future for the individual workers, because while there are new skills needed for the new technology, there's an opportunity to redeploy and reskill a lot of the existing employees. And the way to think about this is that in this world, instead of trying to automate individual tasks, we're trying to actually augment the specific and unique contributions that only human workers can bring. And in some cases, this could include physically embedding augmentative technology into human workers in the future, like way out in the future. And the most basic and straightforward example of this is what do you think about exoskeletons? So what if we have an exoskeleton that essentially creates a super strength operator who lets a human fully control a large robot? Instead of high risks of injury and exhaustion from handling heavy objects, the robots can do it or the robotic suit could do that. And that actually drastically reduces our risk of accidents, of overwork. And 
nicely, like when you think about a super strength worker who has on their exoskeleton, they could still have the energy in the evening to play with their children or spend time with friends or do whatever it is they would like to do outside of work. So physical work wouldn't necessarily have to be physically exhausting. Another example for this one is when truck drivers wear a hands-free headset that is specifically designed not to take calls, but to detect fatigue symptoms like head bobbing movements, where your head jerks forward and then back. It can also verify that drivers are checking their rearview mirrors regularly, um, remind them to take scheduled breaks, and this increases the driver's safety and everyone else's, and also might conveniently provide some insurance breaks eventually. That's fantastic, Emily Rose. And it clearly shows how we're focusing on the human capabilities, how we augment those uh, uniquely human capabilities within our workforce. Now, what future might we be envisioning if we happen to view our workforce as a tool, but we also have this appetite for transformational change? So this is the future that if misinterpreted is the most likely to seem horrifyingly dystopian. But that's not what we're intending when we talk about this, because we don't think any of our clients in making the choices that they're making are trying to aim for a dystopian future. This is the future that we call all-knowing robo-bosses. And the idea here is that you want to be transformational, but your employees, your workforce are a tool, and they're a tool that can be optimized. So instead of trying to say, what's the uniquely human contribution that I'm getting from my human workers? It's, all right, how can we optimize them? And in this angle, say when you have the truck driver, instead of having the truck driver monitoring their health, though you might do that as well, and whether or not they're sleeping, you'd be monitoring, are you hitting the gas enough on the hills to hit where you need to go? But are you hitting it too much and then wasting too much gas on getting off the hills? Are you meeting your goals? And like really get into the minutia of it. Do you signal early enough in order to reach whatever our end goals that we're measuring are? So you're going from basic monitoring to actually interpreting all of the data that's available to figure out what are the optimal behaviors and then drive people towards them. At a really extreme version, this is where you can imagine technology, especially AI, being used to identify new business models and product lines and even theoretically launch them with some sort of autonomous business. In this future, completely new skills and roles are needed because the operations become fully reimagined. And so that creates a lot of changes. I think we've all heard some of the examples that exist out there for this. So instead of having difficult conversations about compliance and safety, there's a robo-boss for that now. You want to hire or fire someone? There's a robo-boss for that, though there are also some laws coming in around whether that's going to be legal or not, depending on where you're located, uh, both within the United States or globally. And even things like deciding who should be considered for digital opportunities. There's a robo-boss for that too. So there's definitely a possibility that some organizations may head towards this path, especially if they're very fond of using passive data collection for monitoring things like compliance and performance. If their leadership has a very strong level of data literacy already, and if they rely really heavily on metrics for both business strategy setting and for performance management in general. So there's truly unlimited opportunities for us to explore this idea of transformational change to how we view employee day-to-day execution and performance. Maybe not as, as scary and uh, fear-inducing as the name might suggest, um, 
it's it's really a new way of thinking about employee performance. So Emily Rose, as a final question for you, I'd like to leave our listeners with some actionable advice. What are maybe one to two recommendations that you would have for CSCOs in this space of the future of frontline work? So my first piece of advice, and this is a piece of advice that I give to everyone, actually, regardless of the segment they're operating in, is to take a hard look at where you're headed, where the decisions you've made so far are going to take you, and how that fits with your organization's and your department's strategic goals. Because the question you really have to ask yourself is, have we set ourselves on a path that's going to make it either difficult or even impossible to achieve some of our strategic goals? And the second thing I would recommend is piloting everywhere you can, testing out lots of new ideas, which may give you the potential to, if you're inclined towards incremental change, increase buy-in for when changes are going to go more broadly, and also develop organizational comfort with change in general. But also, if you are more inclined towards transformational change, the more pilots you can do, the more you can identify the ideal transformational change to go after before you spent a lot of money on one that maybe actually turns out to be a little not as good as some of your other options. Fantastic. Emily Rose, thank you so much for joining us today to share what the future of frontline work can look like and how we might think differently about this relationship between humans and machines in supply chain and operations. The research that covers these insights in depth is accessible to clients via the link in the show notes or by simply going to Gartner.com and searching for the future of frontline work. As always, if you've enjoyed our show, please be sure to go to Gartner.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened to our podcasts and give us a five-star rating as well as subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Thank you all again for tuning in. I'm Caroline Chumakov, and we'll see you next time. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.